Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. Our mission is to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word through the most effective media available, like this podcast. To support Pathway to Victory, go to ptv.org podcast and click the donate button or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffers. In response to the horrific attack on Israel, I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. If you're going to avoid regrets about your work, and this is so important, understand the importance of diligence in your job. The only thing worse than coming to the end of your life and realizing that you are in the wrong job is having regrets about missed opportunities with the job you had to realize you really could have been more successful if you'd only been more diligent in your work. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. To a lot of folks, work is a source of pain and frustration, but God never intended for it to be that way. You see, God is a worker too, and for this reason and more, He truly cares about your career. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares how to minimize regrets about your vocation. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Did you know that Pathway to Victory is the publisher of a popular magazine? Yes, that's right. The experts told us that magazines were no longer in vogue, but we felt God was leading us to provide you with an inspirational publication. The result is the very popular Pathway magazine, with a subscription list that's growing by leaps and bounds. Well, I don't want you to miss out on the daily devotionals and the practical articles on Christian living. So, when you go online today and follow the simple instructions, I'll make sure you receive your first complimentary issue of Pathway magazine. You'll find all the details at ptv.org. Today, we're in the final stretch of our teaching series called Say Goodbye to Regrets, and it's one of the last times to request your copy of my best-selling book by the same title. Living with regret is futile. It gets us nowhere. In fact, regret drains us of energy and steals our hope at the same time. God has a much better plan, and in my book, Say Goodbye to Regret, I'll explain how to silence your regrets through God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. This book is the perfect choice for your Bible study group or to use in a classroom setting. Ask for your copy of Say Goodbye to Regret. It comes with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, let's get started with our next study in this series. I titled today's message, Say Goodbye to Career Regrets. Is it possible to eliminate all of our regrets about our jobs? Of course not. I mean, because we live in a sin-infected world and we are sin-infected people ourselves, there's always going to be problems with whatever job that we have. But there are some ways to minimize the regrets about our work, which is such an important part of our life. And let me share a few of those ways straight from God's Word. First of all, and start this three times on your outline, discover your life work. The greatest important thing you can do about your job 
is to make sure you've discovered what your life work is. I, I first got acquainted with this term life work from my friend Bob Beal, who is such a help to our church. And Bob says and defines life work as that work which is the best use of the rest of your life. Bob goes on to point out, when people first start working in their 20s, they're worried about one thing, and that is survival. They're just trying to survive when they start out. But when they get into their 30s, they move beyond survival to success. They want to be successful. And so they try to start climbing the ladder to success. But somewhere in their mid-40s to early 50s, people move beyond survival or even success to significance. They want to do something that matters, that makes a difference, that provides them with satisfaction. And that's what our life work is all about. How do you discover your life work? Let me share with you four principles to discovering your life work. First of all, your life work, whatever it is, should utilize both your gifts and your interests. It ought to be utilizing your gifts and your interests. Listen to me, God will never call you to do something for which he's not given you a passion, first of all, to do. And second of all, he hasn't given you the gifts to do it. God will never do that. You say, where do you find that in the Bible? Philippians 2.13. This is a good verse to memorize. Paul said, for it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. How do you find God's purpose? First of all, it's what he's given you the will to do. You could use the word passion there. For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the passion. But he also will not just give you the passion, he'll give you the power, the gifts to achieve God's purpose for you. And so your life work should be the intersection of where your passion and your giftedness cross. You know, I remember when I was a little boy, my grandfather, who had such an influence on my life, decided that I needed to be a doctor. Can you imagine me with my hyperkinetic personality trying to be still enough to perform a delicate operation? I'd be in a malpractice suit before I could blink. I mean, I'm not gifted to be a doctor. When God calls us to do something, he gives us a passion and the giftedness to do it. How do you know what your passion is? Here's one way to know it. Ask yourself the question, when I look around the world, what needs do I see that I feel passionate about meeting? If God's calling you to do something, it's going to be to meet a legitimate need in the world, not to fill your greed, but to meet somebody else's need. When you look around, what do you see that makes you passionate? I think about a pastor I know who, when he was in junior high school, took a friend of his, a non-Christian, to church to try to witness to him. And he said, it was such a horrible experience. The sermon was boring. The soloist was off key. The bulletins had misprinted words in them. It was a terrible experience. And my friend never came back again. He had a passion to change that, to make churches places of excellence in everything they did. And he started a movement based on that. I think about a woman whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. Her name was Candace Leitner. And she had a passion from that point on to remove 
drunk drivers from being the menace that they are. She founded the organization MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. If God calls you to do something, it's going to be something you have a passion to do. But secondly, it's something you have a gift in this to do. So ask yourself the question, what is my single greatest strength? Maybe it's organization. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's communication. But the intersection of your passion and your giftedness is your life calling, your life work. Secondly, your life work ought to be something you enjoy doing. It ought to be something you love doing. Now, let's be honest. Everybody has parts of their job they don't like. I mean, um, for a teacher, it might be faculty meetings. For a doctor, it might be dealing with insurance companies. For a pastor, it might be going to the hospital. That's understandable, but none of those functions is the major component of those professions. But if you have a teacher who says, you know, I just love teaching. It's the students I can't stand. Uh, you know, or you have a pastor who says, oh, I just love being a pastor, but I hate preaching, you know, or you have a doctor who faints at the sight of blood. They probably need to reconsider their life work. Your life work ought to be something you love doing. Thirdly, your life work ought to be something that provides you with an adequate income to take care of yourself and your family. It ought to provide something that gives you an adequate income. That means you have to separate your life work from your hobbies. I mean, we all have things we're interested in. But just because you're interested in doesn't mean you can make a living at it. You all know I grew up playing the accordion. That was a hobby of mine. And in high school and college, I learned, earned all my spending money by playing for bar mitzvahs and polka festivals and weddings and funerals. But I would hate today to try to make a living out of playing the accordion. The interest in polka music isn't what it used to be. So I can do that as a hobby, but that's not going to be my life career. Some of you are saying amen to that. Um, it ought to be something you can make a living at. You say, well, where do you find that in the Bible? Again, listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God has given us the responsibility to provide financially for ourselves and those who depend upon us. That's his will. How does God provide that income? It's through the jobs he calls us to do. Our job, our work, is the means by which God provides our needs. And number four, your life work should be confirmed by other people. If you're really in your life work, you're going to have some positive affirmation from people. People are going to say things like, man, you were born to do that. Or you make that look so easy. Or you look like you really are enjoying what you're doing. You'll have that confirmation from others. Conversely, if you don't get that kind of confirmation, it may be that you're not in your life work. I think about the farmer who wanted to preach so badly. His passion was to preach. One day he was out working in the field and he looked up in the sky and he saw the clouds supernaturally form two letters, P, C. And he thought, that's it. God's telling me to preach Christ. And so he sold his farm. He went to seminary, got to his first church and was preaching. And he preached a particularly bad sermon. He couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag. And finally, one of the deacons came up to him and whispered, pastor, you know that sign you saw, PC, 
Are you sure God wasn't telling you to plant corn? (laughs) Now, one negative comment shouldn't be enough to dissuade you from your life work. But if you don't get substantial positive affirmation and get more comments like that deacon, maybe you need to rethink what you're doing. Most people will have some affirmation. Again, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, people fail. But in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. We need to listen to what other people say. So how do you prevent regrets? First of all, discover your life work so you're in the right field. Secondly, refuse to be stuck in your profession. By that I mean, if God does call you to change careers, vocation, if your life work changes, don't feel like you're stuck where you are, you're not. A lot of times people feel stuck because they feel like, well, if I change careers, It means everything I've done in the past has been wasted, or it means I didn't hear God's voice correctly that led me in this field to begin with. And I would just say a couple of things to help you get past the trauma of trying to change your career or life work. Secondly, first of all, remember that your present job and all your past jobs have value. God doesn't waste experiences upon anybody. All of our work has value. Your work, unless it's immoral or illegal, has values to God, value to God. You know, the only people who are called are not evangelists and missionaries. Everyone is called by God. Now, let me illustrate that for you. We all know that God's primary purpose in the world is to save people through faith in Jesus Christ. God is the one who sent his son to save us, and so evangelism is God's primary interest in reaching as many people with the gospel as we can. That's a primary purpose, but it's not God's only purpose. There are other things God is interested in as well. For example, how many of you would agree that God wants to care for his children? You agree? You would agree. Some of you are not sure. (laughs) Doesn't everything the Bible tell you? tells you that God loves us and he wants to take care of our needs. Now, what's one need we all have? Food. I mean, we all need to eat. Man does not live by bread alone, but man does not live without bread. (laughs) We need food. God wants us to be able to eat. Now, how does God get food to us every day? Well, first of all, there has to be a farmer out there somewhere who's planting corn, right? Got to start there, but it can't stay there. That food, that corn has to get off the stalk and get into a truck, so there's got to be a truck driver, and that truck driver can't go anywhere if there's not oil and gas to fuel the truck, so we've got to have not only truck drivers, but people in the oil and gas business. Then that food has to end up at a supermarket. Somebody's got to build the supermarket. There's got to be a cashier there to check us out, or at least somebody to build those machines that allow for self-checkout. I mean, all of those things truckers, farmers, supermarket cashiers, they're all part of God's plan to achieve his purpose. And so don't feel like that your past jobs have not had value. Secondly, view your job as a stepping stone, not as a plateau. 
to be open to God's moving you to something else. See your job as a stepping stone, not a plateau. Now, have you been ever interviewed by an employer who said, no, we don't want anybody who's gonna use this job as a stepping stone. Well, we understand what they mean. We don't, they don't want somebody who's always thinking about the next job instead of the current job they have. But the truth is, everything we do is a stepping stone to something else. I mean, we believe as Christians that history's linear, that we are moving every day closer and closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And so that means every job we take is a stepping stone to the next job. Even if we have one job all of our lives, it's a stepping stone to retirement. Retirement's a stepping stone to death. And death is a stepping stone to heaven for us. So all of us are in the process of moving from one place to another place. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about all the career changes he had in his life. Started as a Pharisee, then was converted, became an evangelist, a missionary, a church planter, a writer, and then he went to heaven after he was beheaded. He had a number of careers. Thirdly, if you're going to avoid regrets about your work, and this is so important, understand the importance of diligence in your job. The only thing worse than coming to the end of your life and realizing that you are in the wrong job is having regrets about missed opportunities with the job you had, to realize you really could have been more successful if you had only been more diligent in your work. When I think about that, I think about Gordon MacDonald in his book, Ordering Your Private World. He cites the example of the famous poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. He's an example of somebody who failed to understand the importance of diligence. Look what he says about Coleridge. Coleridge is the supreme tragedy of indiscipline. Never did so great a mind produce so little. Coleridge left Cambridge University to join the army. He left the army because he couldn't rub down a horse. He returned to Oxford and left without a degree. He began a newspaper called The Watchman, which lived for 10 issues and then died. It's been said of Coleridge, he lost himself to visions of work to be done that always remained to be done. Coleridge has every poetic gift but one, the gift of sustained and concentrated effort. Kemmons Wilson, the founder of Holiday Inn, said, let me tell you the secret of success. Work just half a day every day, just half a day. Doesn't matter which half, it can be the first 12 hours or the last 12 hours, but work half a day. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said virtually the same thing. Listen to what he says about diligence. You can find a lot of verses in Proverbs about diligence. Here are three, Proverbs 10:4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or Proverbs 12, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Or Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard, the lazy person, craves and he gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Now you may say, well, I don't have any desire to be rich, powerful, or fat, <laughs> so why do I care? Listen, 
What Solomon is saying is, if you're not diligent in your work, you're going to fall into poverty, servitude, and discontent. What's the antidote to slothfulness, laziness in our job? It's that passage we read together just a few minutes ago. Colossians 3.23. Here'd be a great passage to memorize. Paul said, whatever you do, whatever you do, farmer, trucker, supermarkets, clerk, whatever you do, do your work diligently, enthusiastically as unto the Lord, for it is the Lord God whom you serve. Finally, how do you remove regrets about your work? Don't overestimate the importance of your work. Don't overestimate the importance of your work. Some people underestimate it, but don't overestimate it either. Your work is an important part of your life that God cares about very much, but it needs to be kept in balance with other areas of your life as well. Let me illustrate that for you. Years ago, my granddad, before he died, gave Amy and me a beautiful bronze Remington sculpture. You've seen those sculptures. They're very, very heavy. And he gave us a pedestal to put it on. So in our home, we had that uh, sculpture on the pedestal. But as our girls began to get older, we realized they could accidentally shake that pedestal. And if that heavy bronze came crashing down, it could kill them or at least destroy the furniture. So we voluntarily took that sculpture off the pedestal and put it at a lower level where if it fell, it wouldn't do that much damage. We need to be careful that we don't elevate our careers above where they belong. Because if they come crashing down, when they come crashing down, either through health, through termination, or just our retirement, it does a lot less damage if we haven't over-elevated our work. So make sure you have it in balance with every other area of your life. In closing today, let me suggest three important questions I hope you're able to answer. Number one, have you discovered your life work, that work which is the intersection of your passion and your giftedness? Second question, at the end of most days, not every day, but most days, are you able to come to the end of the day and said, I gave my job my very best efforts today? And number three, is your work really in balance with every other area of your life? Not spending too much, not spending too little time, but keeping it in balance. Your ability to answer yes to those questions will determine your ability to work without regret. If you're a member of the workforce, then these three personal questions hit close to home. My prayer is that you understand that God is truly on your side. He doesn't want you to look back with any disappointments. Life is far too short to suffer from regret. Maybe it's time that you make a study of this issue on your own. I've written a book that's intentionally designed to guide your thoughts. It's called Say Goodbye to Regret. The subtitle is Living Beyond the Would-Haves, Could-Haves, and Should-Haves. In addition to the issue we address today, I'll help you tackle nine other sources of regret. Things like saying goodbye to parenting regrets, to financial regrets, 
and even to sexual regrets. This is one of the most personal and practical books I've ever written. And before the deadline tomorrow, be sure to reach out and request your copy. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Behind the scenes at Pathway to Victory, our leadership team has been asking God to raise up more Pathway Partners. Would you be willing to join this influential family of supporters? A Pathway Partner is someone who agrees to give a generous gift every single month. In this relationship, you're entitled to an impressive list of special benefits. But the best part is that your giving will have 12 times the impact over the course of one year, impacting lives around the world. And your role as a Pathway Partner demonstrates that you are committed to proclaiming the truth of God's Word with boldness. Here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support Pathway to Victory, or when you sign up to become a Pathway Partner, we're going to say thanks by sending you the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress, Say Goodbye to Regret. Now, by the way, it's easy to automate your monthly giving when you go online to ptv.org. And when your investment is $75 or more, we'll also send you the complete unabridged collection of audio and video discs for the Say Goodbye to Regret teaching series. Now, this brand new resource would be perfect to use in a small group Bible study or a Sunday school class. Here's the phone number to call, 866-999-2965. Again, 866-999-2965, or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Inviting you back next time when Dr. Jeffress presents a message called Say Goodbye to Regrets About Regrets. That's Thursday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Even though we don't know the date when Jesus will return, we need to have our finger on the pulse of what's happening today. So, in response to the war in Israel, Dr. Robert Jeffress has written a brand new book. It's called, Are We Living in the End Times? In light of increasing chaos, division, and warfare in our world, this really is a fair question. Request your copy of, Are We Living in the End Times? by going to ptv.org. You made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory, and we're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. One of the most impactful ways you can give is by becoming a Pathway Partner. Your monthly gift will empower Pathway to Victory to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and help others become rooted more firmly in His Word. To become a Pathway Partner, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.